Section 11 of The Luck of the Dudley Grahams by Alice Calhoun Haynes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Sunday, April 5th. Spring has come at last with Easter. Such a beautiful blue sky as we woke to this morning, such tender breaths of gusty air. It seems funny to be putting on one's winter hat, remarked Ernie cheerfully, as she picked up her shabby gray beaver and shook out its matted pom-pom while I sniffed suspiciously at my white gloves in the window, wondering if they really did whiff faintly of gasoline. Yes, I admitted. Hand me that whisk broom, please. Everybody will be wearing new clothes but us today, and we haven't got any. Do you care? I should think myself pretty mean if I did, returned Ernie roundly. Come on, Elizabeth. The bells are ringing. We have barely time to say goodbye to Bob's. The nursery windows were open. The sunshine fell in bright patches across Robin's little white crib where he lay among his pillows, literally embowered amid blossoming plants. "'See, Elizabeth,' he called. "'Here's another, a crimson bramble rose. "'It hasn't any card except just a happy Easter one. "'Mother can't guess who sent it, so I think maybe it was Mrs. Bogardus. "'That makes five flowers, and two rabbits, and three chickens, "'and a little red prayer book, all for me. "'Here's a pansy for you and Ernie, please, "'cause you want to look pretty Easter day.' "'Thank you, honey,' we answered.' and though the stems were very short, we managed to pin Robin's pansies onto our coats. "'They're playing welcome happy morning,' said Ernestine, as the front door closed behind us, and the jubilant music of the chimes rang more clearly to our ears. "'Oh, Elizabeth, we are happy, aren't we?' "'Indeed we are, Ernie, dear,' I returned, and then we had to hurry, because it was already late. "'See, there are Aunt Adelaide and Mita,' I cried presently as we neared the church porch." They are going in just ahead of us. How stunningly they are gotten up. Mita's suit is charming, and what a love of a hat. But we look nice, too, returned Ernie with an irrepressible little skip and a downward glance at the bright flower in her buttonhole. We can't help it, Elizabeth, because we are so glad. The swelling notes of the organ, the youthful, soaring voices of the choristers in exultant anthem and hymn, the collect, and short, strong sermon, seemed all a wonderful expression of our own inward thanksgiving and gratitude. Never before has an Easter service meant so much to me, and I know it was the same with Ernie. Our shabby gloves met in sympathetic clasp. We squeezed one another's hands and thought of that other morning when we sat side by side on the dark attic stairs, waiting for news of Robin. Oh, to have made up one's mind to renunciation, only to have one's treasure given back, double-fold. For we have great hopes of Bobsy now. Dr. Porter is more than satisfied with the progress he is making. And only listen, there's more good news to tell. For after service, Aunt Adelaide and Mita waited for us in the church porch, and we walked a couple of blocks together. Jeff is very anxious to see you, Ernie, said Aunt Adelaide. Can you manage to get around for a little visit this afternoon? Dr. Porter has given his permission. Oh, cried Ernie with an ecstatic little prance. May I truly come? That's the one thing needed to make the day perfect. Ask your mamma to come with you, smiled Aunt Adelaide, for the old breach seems really healed at last. Our mutual anxiety over Jeff and Robin has brought us closer together than anything else could ever have done. Tell her, please, there is little matter Uncle George and I want to talk over with her. Yes, certainly I will, returned Ernie, while Mita asked, with a glance at the posy in my buttonhole, Did Robin get many flowers for Easter? Indeed he did, I returned, a pot of pansies, a lily, a purple hyacinth, and a beautiful crimson rambler. It is one mass of bloom, 
It came just before church, and there was no card, so we've been guessing ever since. Mita nodded her head in a satisfied way. He and Jeff ought to have something pretty, she said. They've been sick so long, and it must be horrid to lie in bed with nothing but the wallpaper to look at. I think it's rather nice to send Easter cards with Easter flowers, instead of your name, don't you? Then we separated, and I thought no more of Mita's remark. But this afternoon, when Ernie stole on tiptoe into Jeff's room, the first thing she noticed, after the patient, of course, was a second Crimson Rambler Rose, the exact duplicate of Robin's. "'Where did it come from, Jeff?' asked Ernie, hoping to clear up the mystery of Bobsey's plant. "'Was there any card?' "'Why, no,' answered Jeff. His poor hands were those of a skeleton. His voice was a whisper. His eyes seemed the only living thing left. When Ernie looked at him, she wanted to kiss him and cry. But that would not have been cheering, so she asked about the Crimson Rambler instead. It came this morning, just before church. Mita brought it up. There wasn't any visiting card, but there was this Easter affair with the molting angel. I told Mita he'd make a big mistake if he tried to fly with those wings, and she didn't seem to like it much, though she said I was undoubtedly an authority on the subject. It's the first natural remark she's made to me since I've been sick, added Jeff with a weak little chuckle. I... I rather think I liked it. Well, says Ernie, in a burst of really unusual perspicacity, I don't wonder Mita didn't enjoy your criticism. I'm willing to bet my hat, the old one with the frozen pompon, you know, that she alone is responsible for the angel and the rose, too. Robin received duplicates this morning, just about the same time, only his angel has a drum instead of a trumpet, and from something Mita said to Elizabeth, I am almost sure that she chose them. Jeff's pale cheeks flushed, and he lay quiet for a moment. I never suspected it, he said at last, but I guess perhaps you're right. Certainly Mita has been treating me pretty white lately, and the mutter too. I, I wouldn't wonder a bit, Bunny, if things were going to be different. Meantime, Mother and Adelaide and Uncle George were holding an equally interesting conversation in the library downstairs. It seems that Dr. Porter wants Jeff to go away for a couple of weeks and he also remarked, in an apparently casual aside, though we are tempted to suspect it was premeditated, that a change would be an excellent thing for Robin, but that he did not feel at liberty to prescribe it when he thought of the heavy expenses we had been under for the operation. The two remarks worked together in Aunt Adelaide's mind, as perhaps they were intended to do, and the result is that she asked Mother to take Jeff and Robin, too, to Atlantic City for a fortnight with Maria to help to care for them and Uncle George to foot the bills. And Mother did not hesitate to accept, since Aunt Adelaide stated quite frankly that the obligation will be mutual. She does not want to leave the city just at present, and she quite shrinks from the responsibility of overseeing Geoffrey's convalescence. Could anything be more splendid? Just think of our dear little Bobsy enjoying a holiday by the sea, growing fat and rosy playing about on the beach, picking up clamshells, and... But, but that reminds me, I must interrupt my jubilations to tell of the sad end of Abraham Lincoln. Ernie and I have suspected for a couple of days that all was not well on the little glass globe. Since Thursday, A.L. has refused to snatch at a straw, no matter how persistently he has been tickled. Yesterday, he opened his mouth, as Bobsey explained, and he has not closed it since, till this afternoon when I was talking to Robin about his little red prayer book which I had just rescued from forming a tent for one of the white mice. My olfactory organ began to misgive me. It isn't like your other books, Bobsy dear, I was explaining. You must never use it to play with or be careless of it. 
you may keep it under your pillow with your handkerchief if you want and when you are older and can understand better you will find it full of the most comfortable words whatever your sorrow you will always find something to help but bless me what a smell where does that come from abraham lincoln answered robin in solemn accents so it does i returned sniffing suspiciously into the little globe this will never do bobs he's stark dead child i must take it down and throw it in the back yard you shan't howled bobsy in a sudden outburst of uncontrollable woe i spected maybe he was sick so i gave him some of my medicine and a teaspoonful of beef tea you mustn't throw him into the back yard elizabeth he's been too good i tell you but what is to be done about it then dear i asked for such violence of anguish was unusual on the part of robin we can't keep him here any longer you can see that for yourself then let's have a nice little funeral sniffed robin pathetically we'll b bury him beneath the crimson ramble rose and you can read some of the c comfortable words out of my little red prayer book b bobsy i remonstrated prayer books weren't written about clams i don't think there's anything here you said i would always find something to comfort me sobbed bobsy and now when i need it most you won't even look what was to be done robin's faith was really touching i could not bear to disappoint him if it could be helped well honey i said at last don't cry any more we'll bury abraham lincoln under the crimson bramble rose come you shall dig the grave with this silver teaspoon and then if there's anything about clams in the prayer book i'll read it to you so abraham lincoln was neatly interred and as robin patted down the earth with the bowl of his silver spoon i began in a grave voice from the benedicite o ye whales and all that moves in the waters bless ye the lord praise him and magnify him for ever it was the best i could do after a vain flutter of pages and though a clam isn't exactly the same as a whale robin was more than satisfied what did i tell you he asked i knew there'd be something if only you would look and i suppose abraham lincoln moved elizabeth when he came from the fishman's at christmas to this little globe later when i told ernie of the tragedy she took it almost as seriously as robin of course we had to expect that he would die sometime she admitted with a little sigh and i'm glad he waited till we had the crimson rambler under which to bury him it must have been a great comfort to bobsy abraham lincoln was always such a tactful clam saturday april eighteenth the most wonderful thing has happened i shall be able to fill the last two pages of my diary with such news and all because ernie and i determined to clean house it's absurd to miss them so said ernie as she set bobsy's book straight in the nursery bookshelf yesterday afternoon but somehow i can't get used to seeing this room so tidy and how queer it is not having any trays to carry i answered mother and bobs have never been away from us before i wonder if there will be another letter this evening mother writes such lovely letters and jeff's postscripts are so funny chuckled ernie with a slap at the front of her sailor blouse where the last family epistle reposed fancy robin refusing clam fritters and telling the head waiter all about abraham lincoln in the hotel dining-room well i shall be glad when they are home again i admitted perhaps that sounds selfish since the change is doing them so much good but i can't help feeling lonely when you are at school dear elizabeth don't you think it would be nice to have a little surprise for mother asked ernestine something useful that would save her work or trouble after she comes back i'll tell you what suppose we clean house 
You and Rose and I could do it perfectly well, and this place hasn't had a good raking out in ages. That's a rather sensible idea, I agreed, especially now when the family's so small. We could manage the attic, the basement, and the parlor floor, perhaps, but we mustn't disturb the boarders. Have you noticed, Ernie, that the Lyleses have been receiving summer resort pamphlets in almost every mail this week? I'm afraid it means they're planning to leave the city early, and Miss Brown told me Monday that she had an invitation to spend July and August with her nieces in the Adirondacks. I try not to worry, but we've drawn our last money from the bank, and, oh, I do dread the summer. Don't think about it, then, returned Ernie stoutly. We've weathered a good many storms, honey, and it would be pretty ungrateful for us to fret now. Perhaps something will turn up at the last moment. I wish we were going to the country, too, she added, with an inconsistent little sigh. Robin has never seen a clover field, I answered, nor a live cow, and I haven't tasted buttermilk since I was seven years old. Just think, the woods are full of violets this very minute, and thrushes and bluebirds. I know it, returned Ernie, glancing pensively out the window at the battered row of ash cans that lined our dusty street. I wish we could rent this old house, she added vindictively, and go away and start a chicken farm. I'm tired of boarders, Elizabeth, even when they are as kind and considerate as Miss Brown and the Hippo family. You can't be as tired of them as I am, I answered, because you don't have to order their meals. But we would need the front stoop browned over and the cellar concreted before we could dream of letting, and such things cost money. It just seems as if our hands were tied. Which needn't prevent them from wielding a broom, exclaimed Ernie, springing up with an energetic shake of her short skirts. Come on, child, I'm ashamed of us. A little hard work is the medicine we need. The idea of sitting here in opposite rocking chairs, croaking at one another like a pair of discontented grannies, when Robin and Jeff are growing fat in Atlantic City, and Mother is having a really, truly holiday for the first time in years. I'm going up to begin on the attic this instant, and if we have to feel blue in June, why, that's nearly two months off yet. But it's four o'clock, Ernie, I protested. Don't you think we'd better put off the house cleaning till tomorrow? No, I don't, returned Ernie impetuously. There's a pile of magazines in the workshop that hasn't been looked over since the year one tech paddle. Mother told me weeks ago that she wanted them sent to the Philippines. She asked me to go through them then, so come on. Very well, I answered meekly, and a few moments later, Ernie and I were seated on the workshop floor, each with our separate bunch of dusty literature. Here's that nice story about the rogue elephant, began Ernie comfortably. I don't think we can let that go. And, oh, here's the copy of Scribblers with the magic ring. Do you remember we read it aloud one Christmas? It is about the two little boys that went to the circus. I thought, returned I severely, that we came up here to get these magazines ready to send to the Philippines. So we did, mumbled Ernie. But if we don't go through them, how are we to know which ones we ought to send? At that moment, I came upon an odd installment of The Refugees, a thrilling historical romance that had haunted my memory for years. Of course, I agreed with suspicious alacrity, and after that, we sat together on the workshop floor and read and read till the shadows began to steal out from the corners. The room grew dusk and gloomy, and I looked up with straining eyes to remark, Ernestine, it is simply provoking. Why will editors always break off at the most exciting spot? The Indians are attacking the blockhouse. I can't find the next installment, and... Whoop-bee! rang the shrill war cry. Whoop-whoop! Hurrah! Hurroo! 
For a moment I glared about me in terror. Was I in a workshop or the Canadian backwoods? Was the wildly whirling figure that pranced and capered about me, now advancing, now retreating, my own little sister Ernie, or a bloodthirsty Iroquois savage? I found it! I found it! shrilled the jubilant song. After all my hunts, Elizabeth, in the cuckoo clock under Hazard's bed, and to think we nearly sent it to Manila! What are you talking about, Ernestine? I demanded severely. No matter what you found, you ought to be ashamed to shout so. You know that Miss Brown has a headache, and besides, I quite mistook you for an Indian. Ernie dropped down beside me and flung her arms about my neck. Honey, she breathed, it's the contract, the dump cart contract at last, stuck between the pages of an old copy of Kaler's Engineering Magazine. And to think we almost sent it to Manila. So I understood. The room began to swim about me. My head sank limply to Ernie's supporting shoulder. Don't you dare go and faint on me, threatened that unsympathetic young person. If you do, I'll spill water over your new rosebud stock. I mean it, Elizabeth. You shan't, I retorted, and sat up, clutching my precious embroidered collar with one hand while I extended the other for the contract. Ernie picked up the yellow-backed magazine, which she had dropped in the window when she began her wild war dance, and extracted a legal-looking document. Here it is, she said, and it was by merest chance I found it. I knew there would be nothing in Kaler's to interest us, though some stray engineer in Manila might like it, and I was just about to put it with these other magazines we don't want, when I noticed the date, and that made me think of dear father. So I opened it just to see what he had been reading, and the first thing I came on was the contract. Oh, Elizabeth, he must have slipped it in here on his way home from Mr. Perry's office that very afternoon. How natural it seems. And Rose cleared it away later, and we never suspected. Well! By this time, Ernie and I were reading the document through, our heads close together in the window, our hearts thumping. Despite the legal verbiage which we did not altogether understand, despite the fast-fading light, there could be no doubt the dump-cart contract was found. It was also dated, witnessed, and signed with a pathetic little blot of ink under the dear familiar G-stem in Father's name. At first we could hardly believe our good fortune. Five percent of whatever profits the invention is making?' gasped Ernie. "'And perhaps some back money, too.' Oh, Elizabeth, the boarders can leave whenever they like now. The quicker the better. We can shut up this house and go away to the country. Robin shall play in clover fields, and you shall drink buttermilk, and I will start a chicken farm. What a lovely surprise for mother! And she threw her arms about my neck, and for a while we wept and laughed together. And to think how ungrateful we were this very afternoon. It makes one rather ashamed, doesn't it, dear? I concluded with a penitent sniff. Hayes and I will go and see Uncle George this evening. He will advise us. About what? asked Hazard's voice, with a worried little accent, from the attic stairs. Has anything happened? Is there bad news from Mother? No, indeed, we answered. Come in, light the gas. We've something to show you. So Hazard came. Ernie struck a match, and again, in the dear familiar workshop, where so many important councils have been held, so many family problems settled, we read the contract through together. Well, says Hayes with a little sigh, so it is really found. What a scamp that Perry is. Yes, Elizabeth, you and I will see Uncle George this evening. I'm coming too, piped Ernie. I found it. 
I want to see what he will say. So after dinner, where it was rather trying, I can tell you, to talk and eat as if nothing had happened, because we did not think it wise for the boarders to suspect till things should be a little more definitely settled, we slipped into our hats and jackets and hurried round to Uncle George's. He sat at his desk in the library with a number of papers before him, and he looked up, rather surprised and displeased, as William ushered us into the room. "'Anything wrong at home?' he began. "'You're not in trouble again, I hope, Hazard.' "'No, sir,' says Hayes importantly. "'Not this time, thanks.' And he handed Uncle George the contract. "'Well, you just ought to have seen Uncle George's face change as he read it. "'Where did this come from?' he asked abruptly. "'Who found it? When?' "'I did,' piped Ernie. "'This afternoon, in an old copy of Kaler's Engineering Magazine. "'And, oh, Uncle George, it was the narrowest escape. "'We nearly sent it to Manila, to the sick soldiers.' "'Hmm,' says Uncle George, surveying the signatures again. "'You are to be congratulated, young lady.' "'And then he added in a lower voice, as if to himself, "'I've done poor Dudley a great injustice. "'Apparently he wasn't altogether a fool.' "'And turning to Hayes, he continued, I'll keep this paper, my boy, and look out for your interests. Undoubtedly, you've all been very badly treated. With the contract here to prove it, we could prosecute Perry, and perhaps even land him behind the bars, but that would be a rather poor satisfaction after all, and if you follow my advice, you'll use your power to settle things as expeditiously and as much to your advantage as possible. Oh, yes, answered Ernie, Hayes, and I together. We don't want to put anybody in jail. All we want is a little money. Well, returned Uncle George, I'll do my best to get it for you. And then he took us into the drawing room, and we related the story again to Mita and Aunt Adelaide, who listened with all their ears. How perfectly dandy, cried Mita, clapping her hands when the last explanation had been made and the last questions answered. And I am so glad, and I guess you are too, Elizabeth, even if you didn't mind being poor. Indeed I am, I agreed, and I never said I didn't mind, Mita only that there were certain advantages which one had to experience to find out. And then Aunt Adelaide rang the bell and ordered seltzer lemonade and strawberry shortcake, and we feasted and planned, and later we came home and planned some more, after writing the good news to Mother. Till now it is nearly twelve o'clock, and I am sitting at my desk pouring out the wonderful story afresh, while Ernie lolls on the side of the bed and maunders drowsily, I think I'll try Cochin Chinas, unless they're the kind that wear roughly pantalettes. Did you ever hear of the lady that started with one egg and ended with $50,000? Oh, do come to bed, Elizabeth, or it will never be tomorrow morning. Our luck has changed, and we want to wake up and find that we haven't dreamed it. What Ernie says is true. Our luck has changed, indeed. And yet, what is luck? I like to remember something the kind hippopotamus said to mother one evening this winter, when Robin was very sick, when Rose seemed extra incompetent, when we were all feeling blue. Mrs. Graham, he remarked, you're a lucky woman. I don't care how vexatious things may seem. I don't care how unfortunate. With four such children as you have, there's bound to be luck in a house. Wasn't it pretty of him? And now that the dump cart contract is found, now that we're poor no longer, it will be good to remember that, for better or worse, we ourselves must always be the real luck of the Dudley Grahams. End of section 11. Recording by Colleen McMahon. End of The Luck of the Dudley Grahams by Alice Calhoun Haynes.